It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If there was one position group in BYU spring camp that was under the most scrutiny but did not have the horses out there to really show us much of anything, it might have been BYU's linebackers. We're talking about why there should be optimism heading into the fall despite not seeing much on the field. And also, we're getting to your questions on a Mailbag Thursday. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day and being an everydayer right here on your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Very proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So thank you for taking the time, whether you're watching us on YouTube or if you're checking us out wherever you get your podcast, thank you for being a part of the show. All right, diving right in on today's show. As promised on today's podcast, we're going to talk about BYU's linebacker position. Yesterday on the show, if you, in case you missed it, we talked about what we're doing. Is we're kind of looking back at position group by position group. Uh, my thoughts on spring camp as a whole for each position group in BYU. And essentially the way I'm going about this and approaching it is I'm going to give you an idea of if my stock is up on a position group, stock is down, or if I'm neutral on them based on what I thought going into spring ball versus what I think now after having watched 15 practices and talking with people around the program. So yesterday we talked about the quarterbacks. I think that the stock is up on the QBs. I, I really do. I think that Keaton Slovis didn't do anything to make me think that he can't be what BYU wants him to be out there on the football field this fall. But we're going to talk about a defensive uh, position group today in the linebacking unit that in spring ball to me had a ton of question marks obviously coming into it. But coming out of spring ball, in some ways, with the guys who did not participate, it may actually give BYU fans a little more hope than you might think. What I mean by that is the main storyline of BYU's linebacking core in spring camp was the fact that their headliners were not going to be available to participate. Both Max Tooley and Ben Bywater underwent offseason surgeries that precluded them from participating in spring ball. Both of them were out there on the football field uh, collaborating with their teammates, essentially serving as student coaches throughout the majority of spring ball and encouraging their teammates, but they were unable to take the field to really show what they're capable of doing. The nice part is, even with a new defense being installed, both of these players are fantastic guys to, ha- to help lead BYU into the Big 12 era. Both of them have got gregarious personalities when it comes to speaking with the media and the like. But more importantly than that, they have both proven that they can make big plays. Think of the pick sixes that both of them had last season for the BYU defense. I've got very few qualms about them understanding what BYU's new new defensive philosophy under Jay Hill is going to look like and being able to go out and execute it. The other thing about this is coming out of spring ball right at the tail end Friday, you found out that A.J. Vongpachan, the transfer from uh, Utah State, officially announced that he'll be a member of the BYU football program. So that only bolsters that linebacking core. So uh, you look at it and say, okay, what those three guys did not participate in spring ball, so they give you some optimism just in theory moving forward here, but what is my evaluation coming out of spring ball? I actually say I'm pretty neutral 
on the linebacking position, I actually, in many ways, expected I probably would come down just in terms of my evaluation as stock being down on them. But the nice part was, during spring ball, we discovered, uh, as a media core, as well as you out there in the fan base, if you were paying attention, that BYU has some young options in this linebacking unit. Most notably, the Kafusis, Ace and Micah Kafusi, Both of them return missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, coming in uh, their first year in the program. And for their first spring ball, both of them, albeit uh, being fairly skinny, both of them have still got to kind of uh, get back into the weight room and gain some weight. But they have both proven they can be playmakers. What I like about both of them is they're tall, long, rangy athletes, more in the realm of what you want a modern-day linebacker to look like in this day and age of college football. No no more are the days of having a 250-pound, 260-pound linebacker who all he does is come downhill, go head-on-head with a fullback and make a tackle. That's not what they're required to do. That's not what they're asked to do. They obviously need to play and run support. But more important than that, they've also got be able to play in coverage and also be able to play in space. And both of the Kafusis really showed that ability. Another guy who really stood out during spring ball uh, in the early part, he didn't necessarily make as much noise as can't progress, but the first two weeks really belonged to Isaiah Glasker, a converted safety, a former prep star at Bingham High School up there in South Jordan, Utah. Really, really liked what I saw from Glasker. He's kind of what I expect both Ace and Micah Kafusi to become because Glasker is, is weighing in about 225, 230 pounds, and that's what I figure with both Micah and Ace Kafusi Fusi probably end up weighing when all is said and done with regards to their work in the weight room as they continue to progress throughout their careers. The nice part is, is all three of those guys are very tall. Like I said, athletes, I think Glasgow listed at six foot five, Ace Kafusi, I thought was six, three and Mike might've been like six, four and every single one of them got the ability to run. That's the nice part about this is it's going to give versatility to this BYU defense. I'm, I'm very, very intrigued by the future for this position group. So I, I think my overall, assessment coming out of spring ball with regards to BYU's linebacking core is I'm neutral on it because I really do want to see what Ben Bywater, Max Tooley, and especially A.J. Vongpachon can do in this defense to obviously to help uh, lead them to another level in theory, but more important than that, you also want to see uh, what uh, the, these young bucks can do. What can they offer? Can they be the quality depth that BYU's looking for behind their frontline starters? There's another wild card in all of this. That is Chaz Ayu. The redshirt senior, the guy who has dealt with so many injuries during his career. When Chaz is right, he has proven to be a guy who can be a fairly effective football player for BYU, playing in a myriad of roles. He's played hybrid safety, all-out safety. He's played a middle linebacker role. They list him at 6'2", 220. If that's what he's checking in at, that's ideal linebacker size for Chaz. After years and years of being lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, he's, he's been yanked around so many times, and the injuries obviously did not help his cause. But if Chaz truly is capable of contributing on the football field, that makes this linebacking core that much better. So I look at this overall, kind of going down the list of BYU's linebackers and think, okay, there are obviously uh, contributors or high-level players in terms of the upperclassmen. There is intriguing talent as the young players coming in here, but the, the question will be, if injuries do strike, and that obviously is a big part of college football, is when and if injuries strike, how are you able to replace those players? And the linebacking core, to me, feels like it's got a decent two deep, but the only question will be is if those frontline guys, a Ben Bywater, a Max Tooley, an AJ Vong Pachon, or a Chaz Ayu, those top guys, if one of the two of them go down, are the young guys ready to step up in their stead? Is an Ace Kafusi, is a Micah Kafusi? Ammon Hanneman had his moments for BYU moving up to linebacker this spring as well. I forgot to mention him earlier. Are those guys capable of stepping into the roles asked of them and being as effective, if not more effective, than they have been 
been previously asked to be. So there, there's a big question mark there. Obviously, Logan Peely left this uh, position group announcing he's going to transfer the same day that you got the announcement from AJ Vongpachan that he's coming into the program. But I think I'm neutral on BYU's linebacking core. Is there talent there? Yes, it's undeniable there is talent there. But I just I don't know necessarily what ultimately uh, could have been done in spring ball outside of having uh, the frontline guys be available and be able to show what they can do to make me think stock is up. So I'm just going to kind of rest that my st- my stock thought on BYU's linebacking core is neutral. And that's not a bad place to be. And the other thing about this is uh, hearing uh, some chatter out there with regards to what BYU's linebacking core beyond uh, this season is going to look like? That's a great question. Uh, Is Micah Wilson going to be able to step up? Uh, Micah, uh, I've heard some chatter that he may ultimately decide to step away from football. We'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. I'm I'm speaking of Micah. I know that Josh Wilson already stepped away, but Micah, the younger brother, obviously uh, the number three in the Wilson family of the sons that have played for BYU, hearing some chatter that he ultimately may step away from football, but nonetheless, uh, I think that the, the overall outlook for BYU's linebacking core is positive. Uh, I, so we'll see what happens. I, I'm looking forward to finally seeing them on the football field. Speaking of Thule, uh, Bywater, especially AJ Vongpachan coming into the program when it comes to training camp in August. But until then, I, I guess I'll just settle on, yeah, I, I'm sitting kind of neutral on the linebacking position for the Cougars. All right, coming up here in just a minute, uh, it is time. Your it is it is your guys' time to shine. Obviously, you guys submitted your questions all week long. We've got a bevy of them. We'll roll through as many of these as possible. If we have to, uh, we will maybe push some to our Friday edition of the podcast. But we will answer as many as we possibly can in the time remaining ahead on today's show. All right, first a word though on our friends over at uh, Built Bar. Something exciting is coming to Built.com on April 22nd, just a few days away, my friends. I don't have all the details yet, but the excitement is real and something you don't want to miss. And trust me, I've gotten multiple emails from Built uh, saying, hey, get ready for this. I, I don't know what Built is up to. I, I promise. If I, it was, if I had any intel and I had a source that could tell me, I'd be happy to pass it along to you guys. But if you know how Built works, they have the most incredible protein bars in the world and they offer these amazing flavor drops with unreal flavors in limited quantity. So mark your calendars. Head to Built.com on Saturday, April 22nd to see to be one of the first to discover what all the hype is about, my friends. I cannot wait myself to see what's happening and what this new flavor is. But make sure you use the promo code LOCKEDON15 and get 15% off your order. Once again, built.com, April 22nd. Be there. Don't miss out. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA. And now through June 30, get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Cannot thank you guys enough for your support of the podcast, as always. Uh, for you everydayers on tomorrow's show, we'll continue to roll through our position groups looking at what's going on with BYU's uh, running back position. Now, uh, similar to the linebacker discussion we just had, well, their frontline guy or their frontline guys were unavailable in spring ball, most notably Aiden Robbins. What does that mean for BYU's linebe- uh, no, linebackers, running backs? Well, we're going to get into that on tomorrow's show, so don't miss it. Uh, make sure you join us. Become an everydayer. 
and join us right here on the Locked On Cougars podcast. All right, rolling on on today's show. It is your guys' time to shine on the podcast. I'm going to pull out my phone here. I've got a couple of questions that came in via different social media feeds, so I'm going to roll through these as quickly as possible. Uh, first one coming in here comes via Garrett. It says, SF, at SF Garrett, it says, how many seasons before selling out season tickets and individual games before BYU expands Lavelle Edwards Stadium? Now, Garrett, I'm going to give you a little bit of a hot take here. I think it is more likely if BYU shows that they have got the the demand for season tickets outpaces the supply. I think it's actually more likely BYU breaks ground on a brand new stadium sooner than they would expand Lavelle Edwards Stadium. That may be a little bit of a hot take. That may be a little bit of a controversial opinion, but that that's what I truly believe. If BYU feels like they need to maybe have a bigger stadium, I don't even sure you want to go bigger than they already have, but regardless, if they think that they need to do something, I think that they'd actually opt to build a new stadium before they expanded Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Cougar Stadium, now LES, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, has been around since the 60s, folks. It's been around for a very, very long time. It's a serviceable facility. We all know this. It's one that everybody's come to love, but it's starting to show its age in certain circumstances. So if they really want to do something, I actually think they would expand it before they changed it. And we'll see what happens, but that's just my personal thought on the matter. Uh, next one, Zach Dutson relating uh, to the atmosphere around Lavelle Edwards Stadium. He says, any changes or enhancements in the works for Cougar Canyon? Obviously, the fan fest that's outside of Lavelle Edwards Stadium and lead up to kickoff each home game. I do not know about that, Zach, so stay tuned. I'll see if I can dig around and see if I can find out. But uh, it's an interesting question because they've always tried to like, add and enhance the fan experience out there at LES, but I don't know of any thing just on the top of my head off the top of my head not on the top of my head off the top of my head of changes coming but it would not surprise me if they were to have something pop up here. All right, uh, next thing coming in here, we've got a couple other questions. Uh, we've got Nick Chadwick says, how much recruiting do you think BYU's can and will do to influence high-end talent to come to BYU? Well, here's the thing. In this day and age with athletes, when it comes to the transfer portal, high school recruiting, all that stuff, they are as connected with their so-called future potential teammates as any generation of football player beyond them. They will obviously try to influence teammates if, if they're serious about wanting to have the best success they possibly can have at the collegiate level. So it would not surprise me that you'll see them recruiting guys. They, they may not be doing it on social media as much as you may like, or they may be doing it behind the scenes where it's not necessarily as visible to you, the fan, but it happens. There's overtures being made. Trust me, they, they absolutely do that, Nick. And they, they, they want to make sure that they have the best uh, opportunity to succeed. And the only way to do that, really, is to go out and get the best talent around you possibly can get. Uh, next one, House of BYU says, BYU's transfer class is now rated the 21st best in the nation. That's according to 24-7 Sports. I saw that. How much has that impacted your win-loss expectation for next year? Uh, honestly, not that much, House of BYU. I, I think that I would still think that 6-6 six and six should be the goal here for BYU. Anything beyond that would be a very, very nice uh, just kind of candle or icing on top of the cake. I think you get to bowl eligibility, show that you are a viable Power 5 football brand uh, your first year in the Power 5 level. I think that would be a very, very good start for BYU in their Big 12 tenure. Ultimately, uh, we're all, uh, we will all um, I'm trying to say, we will all obviously judge BYU on their wins and losses, how they came, etc. at the end of the season, but I just, I know that the transfers coming in are very, very nice. They've got, I think, 9-10 starters via the transfer portal, and that's they've still got plenty of time to add to that list, but I just I don't know that you necessarily have to um, have anything 
I guess, expectation-wise, I, I, it would take a lot for me, I guess is what I should say. It would take a lot for me to change my thought on where the expectation level is for me uh, going into the season. Obviously, I'm. I, you guys can have your own opinion on that. You may think the BYU should be shooting for 8 and 4, whatever you want. I just think that it could be a big thing. And he also does add this, uh, saying that, as also of note, BYU is at 21st right now with A.J. Vongpachan's transfer ranking. He said it should be a four-star based off production, moving the Cougars even higher in those rankings. We'll see what happens. It would be interesting to see that, obviously, uh, play out. Dallin the exception at Dallin underscore Olson says, how many available scholarships does BYU have left for football, assuming nobody else transfers out? Uh, I don't know, actually, Dallin. Here's the thing. It is so fluid right now. You can see guys who are technically on scholarship right now moved off of scholarship. They, they, BYU's trying to juggle a lot of stuff because at the Power 5 level, the Big 12, they require you to give four-year scholarships. You, you, you lock yourself in by giving any kind of scholarship going in uh, after July 1st. So you got to be very uh, careful about how you're operating with this. I think BYU, will, and that's with the high school talent, let's be very clear about that. It's not a four-year scholarship if they are a grad transfer or just a transfer portal who's only got two years of eligibility remaining. But uh, they, I don't know how many they have. I do know that they have uh, numbers to work with. They held some in reserve from the winter signing period, and they also have had players uh, uh, transfer out. So there, there's, I, I guess, Six, eight, somewhere ten. Uh, they could make some big changes here, and that's the interesting part about this. Uh, the new edition of Isaac Davis. This question coming in uh, from uh, Chase Messer, Chase underscore Messer forty four. The new edition of Isaac Davis, and we're going to talk about Isaac Davis here in a minute. His commitment, a four star, uh, big man for the BYU football program, has been wondering: Do we officially know if Noah Waterman has used a medical redshirt for his short year at Niagara? Chase, I do not know the answer to that. My Assumption would be he's got the appeal in his back pocket to get that year back if he needs to. I don't necessarily know if he's actually utilized that yet. So that's that. I guess that's the thing is I don't know what the status is. I would assume he at least has the paperwork and the the ability to challenge for that year if need be. All right, next question, Aggie fan Dan, of course, a resident Utah State fan who loves this podcast. I know you're you're the man out there. Dan says for the non BYU fan, what is the number one football game of yours? I should pay attention. To next year? Uh, that's a great question, uh, Dan. I would say there are three games in particular I would be paying attention to most notably. Actually, give me four. Uh, number one, Arkansas. BYU's lone non-Power 5 matchup. It's an SEC team. BYU wants some revenge for the embarrassment they suffered at their at the hands of the Razorbacks at Lavelle Edwards Stadium a year ago. So that one's to pay attention to. Other one is BYU's Big 12 opener at Kansas. I'm looking forward to actually hopefully traveling to that game, get out there to Lawrence and check things out. Uh, number three on the list is the game at Texas. Obviously, Texas taking off after this season, so it's the lone time BYU will face them as a Big 12 member. And then finally, the home game against Oklahoma. Similar to Texas. Only time you're to get the, an opportunity to face off against the Sooners as a Big 12 foe. But more importantly, it may be the first and last visit Oklahoma ever makes to Provo and Lavelle Edwards Stadium. So I guess I, uh, I'd i probably say Oklahoma is the top game. That, that's my personal thought on the matter there. Uh, and we'll see what happens there. Uh, next one, uh, Kyle at Kyle underscore Henry uh, comes in with this. Have you heard any rumors about potential wide receivers or cornerbacks that BYU is targeting in the transfer uh, transfer portal? Excuse me. I'm usually pretty reserved in my optimism, but I really think we're two real difference makers away from having a special season. I, I like that optimism, Kyle. Uh, first things first, BYU is looking at wide receivers. We saw a, a report yesterday, a tweet came out. Darius Lassiter is a six foot three, two hundred pound wide receiver from Eastern Michigan. Uh, uh, Eastern 
he's from Eastern Michigan University, a native of Chandler, Arizona, apparently, so closer out here to BYU than he has been out there in uh, at EMU. But this past year, 40 receptions, 471 yards, averaging 11.8 yards per reception, four touchdowns uh, for the Eagles. He'd be an interesting pickup. I, I watched some of his film. Speaking of Lasseter, he's not necessarily the burner I feel like BYU might be looking for with regards to their wide receiving core as a, as a top-end guy to, quote-unquote, take the top off the defense. But he has proven that he can contribute. He would be a fantastic pickup, I think, to bolster BYU's depth. Uh, he's got two years of eligibility remaining, at least. It looks like he's a junior. He, at least he's a junior currently at EMU. So he could build with the program for at least a year or two if BYU were to land him. But he's got a number of options still, like most transfer portal options out there do. So uh, that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. I do think they will continue to look around. Anybody's name I hear pop up, I will be happy uh, to pass along. It's one of those fun things about this. All right. Uh, also, the Woodhaven at D. Stokes 11 says, after missing out on Gatlin Bear, are there any other top wide receivers on BYU's radar? I, I think that, yeah, I just mentioned Darius Lassiter. I think BYU will be combing through the transfer portal, trying to find any and all options and evaluating those options. Does it mean that they're going to uh, overlook somebody? That, that's always that possibility, but I just know the way that BYU is operated with regards uh, to all of the, how do I say this? The way they've operated in the past with regards to how they go about the transfer portal, they very rarely don't uh, get in on a player that's got some opportunity to participate or like not participate to contribute at a decent level they 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 typically have been very good about understanding okay that's a guy who could make a, an impact for us and going after that guy does that mean they always get them no that they that that it's 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 recruiting, but they have obviously been doing their their best to go out and find the best options that they can. I know that Fessy Satake and Aaron Roderick, they will be going through the transfer portal with meticulous uh, detail, uh, making sure that they stay on top of everything going on. All right, I am uh, about tapped out on time here for questions. I got, well, I guess I can get one more in here real quick. Uh, from Robert Nunley at Kil- Kilroy Bobby says, Hey, Jake, I'm just curious to know what the connection was for Caleb Etienne and BYU. It seems like his decision happened really quick based on when he hit the portal. Is the LDS, is the previous coach on staff, what was the sales pitch? Oh, I think the sales pitch was, Hey, you can come in here and potentially be our starting right tackle. I think that's one thing BYU pitched. Uh, but in t- asking around about this, and I think somebody responded with a tweet uh, to this tweet, actually. Uh, I apologize. Uh, I missed it. Oh, James. Uh, James W. Clausen says, Braden Kearsley, I believe, was on the OSU staff. And you're right. Braden Kearsley, the former BYU lineman, obviously ended up transferring to Oregon State. Uh, he has launched his coaching career. He actually spent last season, if not a little more longer than that, maybe two the last two years, as a graduate transfer at Oklahoma State. He is now at BYU as a uh, grad assistant or an analyst working with BYU's offensive line and has a relationship with ETN. So that, I think, might have been a little bit of the hook uh, for the interest level and that type of stuff. And that's what it sounds like uh, may have been why they ultimately were able to get Caleb Etienne's uh, just to pay attention to BYU in the very first. But uh, it's one of those interesting things is uh, transfers, it's so weird. Some guys want to like make a decision and bam, they're done. Other guys want to drag it out. And Caleb Etienne went in on, what, the 15th and we came out on the out of the portal officially signing with BYU. He has actually technically officially signed, but announced his commitment to the BYU football program pretty quickly. So it's... I, I don't think you can necessarily nail down exactly what or when unless you 
ask the young man himself why he ultimately made that decision. But I think Braden Kearsley's connection obviously did not hurt uh, the situation for BYU. And also, I think that if you continue to look at uh, how uh, opportunities are playing out, he has an opportunity to come in and essentially be day one starter at right tackle. That can't hurt uh, BYU because he knows the Big 12. He can obviously lend some insight into Oklahoma State, most notably because he spent time uh, with the Cowboys, who are BYU's regular season finale opponent out there in Stillwater on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, he's just got he's got institutional knowledge of the Big 12 itself, so there's a lot of different reasons. I think BYU would be interested in having Kaleeb Etienne come in, and I think he's a young man who just simply wants to play football and be BYU is giving him that opportunity to do so. So uh, it's it's one of those funny things uh, to uh, see what happens. All right, I'm going to fit one more in here. I probably shouldn't be uh, talking about uh, what's going on uh, with BYU and the transfer portal. This is a great question from Greg Romano with regards to the transfer portal. Uh, question for your mailbag. Do you agree or disagree and why? It's more important for BYU to send a place kicker than a wide receiver via the transfer portal. I agree to a level because... The kicking game for BYU during spring ball, based on what I saw as a media member, has been absolutely brutal. It's just like, oh my goodness. You may want to go for two every time uh, you score a touchdown, just based on the kicks that some of us saw out there during media observation. The coaches insisted when the media wasn't there, the kicks weren't that bad. But, whew. Uh, the, the kicking game is not pretty right now, folks. So that, that's the tough part about it. I think that getting a kicker in the transfer portal will be very, very important for BYU if they can find an option. That's the problem. I don't know how many really uh, key difference-making type uh, kickers are actually going to hit the portal during the spring period. But if they do, I think there's one, I think ECU, a guy who actually uh, kicked, a, uh, kicked against BYU last year, who was an all-conference kicker, has hit the portal. Those are the type of guys you need to go out and reach out to if you're BYU. BYU, but there are other programs looking for guys like that. So similar to the KDBTN situation or what I've just already talked about uh, with the wide receiver type stuff, is it's going to be a crapshoot. You have to rise to the top and beat out a bunch of other suitors for these guys. NIL plays a role. Opportunity plays a role. I just there's so many factors in all of this, but if BYU can find a difference maker, a difference making kicker, uh, a guy who can come in and bolster that position, because right now it's going to be the walk on uh, done. Excuse me, uh, Matthias Dunn. He's probably going to be BYU's number one kicker going into fall camp. Just on my personal perception. They gotta find they gotta find an answer because it's it's not pretty right now. It, it it's pretty brutal. The wide receiver is very critical. BYU needs to find some wide receivers, but in some ways, Greg, I, I'm with you. The the kicking uh, part of it could be even more critical to BYU's fortunes. Uh, year one in the Big Twelve here. All right. Way over time here, but we'll come back uh, real quick and talk about what's going on with Isaac Davis. He announced his commitment to BYU yesterday. Uh, Big commitment, I think, overall for BYU basketball. A positive sign as they kick off their 2024 recruiting cycle, or their 2024 recruiting class, I probably should uh, clarify. We'll get to all of that here momentarily. First word on our friends over at Perry Homes. Whether you're looking for your first home or you're ready to upgrade to your dream home, Perry Homes has a house for you. For 50 years, Perry Homes has has been Utah's premier home builder with communities throughout the state. They have many communities, home designs, and price points to help meet your needs, my friends. That's part is they've got beautiful communities in Davis, Salt Lake, Tooele, and Utah counties. They also have multiple communities in Washington County near St. George as well. They offer over 50 unique home designs from Ramblers to two stories to townhomes as well. They even have quick move-in homes available if you're ready to move right now 
as well. And they're also offering generous financing incentives through their preferred lender if you want to get started on that front. So visit PerryHomesUtah.com to see what's new in Utah's finest neighborhoods. That's PerryHomesUtah.com to learn more now. For 50 years, Utah has been coming home to Perry Homes. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Thank you once again for checking out locked on Cougars and making it a part of your routine, my friends. All right. Big news yesterday, four star 2024 forward Isaac Davis officially announcing that he'll be a member of the BYU men's basketball program. Uh, Based on what I read, he is not planning on going on a mission. So he will be a guy who's going to be enrolling right away for BYU. And I think this is a good pickup for BYU. I, a lot of people have compared him to Yoli Childs. He's shorter than Yoli. I think Yoli was six foot eight. Uh, They list Isaac Davis, depending on where you look, at 6'6 or 6'7. But nonetheless, Isaac Davis is just a physical freak. I love his uh, athleticism. That's what I love about him. He's he's, he's got a well-put-together frame. They list him at, I think, 230, 240, maybe even 250 pounds, depending on which recruiting uh, site you look at. But he's a consensus four-star talent. And let's just put it this way. If you can get four-star talent, I don't care where it comes from, even if it's coming from Hillcrest High School in Ammon, Idaho, you get that talent into your program if at all possible. He had a number of other suitors out there. Uh, the finalist list, there were seven different schools on that group. Uh, Washington State, Oklahoma, VCU, UNLV, uh, Utah State to a degree was also in that group. But he's a top 100 prospect according to 24-7 Sports. Rivals has him inside, nearly inside the top 80 in their rankings. This is a fantastic pickup from Mark Pope and his squad. Uh, I, I do wonder, okay, what role ultimately Isaac Davis fills? Is he the next Fuseni Traore where he's kind of that undersized power forward but is more than capable of contributing? Maybe so. And maybe that's what BYU's kind of pitched him on. Is like, you see what Foose is doing out there. That's you once Foose is done playing for the Cougars. Maybe that's the pitch. Maybe that's how they're going to hook him. But I do think that he's got more ability, speaking of Isaac Davis, than Fuseni Traore, Atiki Aliatiki. He's just, he's a physical freak, and I mean that in the most positive way I possibly can. That's what I love about Isaac Davis's game, is he's not afraid to go up and dunk on somebody. He's a pretty good rebounder. His uh, shooting stroke has improved during his time in high school as well, so I'm very, very intrigued by this pickup. He averaged 17.6 points, 9 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.5 steals, and nearly a block per game this past year up there at Hillcrest in Idaho. Uh, He's a member of the Utah Prospects, the AAU squad that has uh, pumped out all kinds of Division I talent in recent years here locally. BYU's been the beneficiary of that AAU program in their own right, but I think this is a... 
a great pickup for Mark Pope because it gets the 2024 recruiting class off to a solid uh, start for BYU. Obviously, you're going to have Colin Chandler coming back in time for that 2024 season alongside a guy like Isaac Davis here. Uh, Jake Wallen uh, is a guy who's expected to return uh, this summer and join in time for the 2023 season if all goes according to plan. Uh, so there is a there is some positive momentum going here for BYU. I also saw that uh, somehow 11 months out from the next selection or uh, 10 months out from the next selection of the NCAA tournament that Joe Lunardi has BYU in the next four out. He has them only eight teams out of making the NCAA tournament in their first year as a member of the Big 12 Conference. Maybe Joe Lunardi knows something that I don't because you guys know I've been fairly down on this BYU basketball program of late, but... They have got some positive momentum rolling here on the recruiting front. Now, that talent's got to come in. It's got to translate. It's got to go out there and prove that it can be effective. Obviously, getting Ali Khalifa as a four-star talent out of the transfer portal ranks is a big deal for BYU. Now, can you put it all together? Can Mark Pope and his staff put this all together, find the right guys for the right situations, put them in the best situations to succeed, and then go out there and compete against the best basketball conference in the country? Well, only time will tell, but it's going to be an intriguing uh thing to watch over the next two or three years as they kind of set the benchmark for what they hope to be in the Big 12 Conference and grow from there. I think Colin Chandler is a difference maker type player. I think this Isaac Davis young man is absolutely a difference maker type player, but you've got to get them in here and hopefully that they're what you see on tape, what you've seen in person, your evaluations, all that stuff. Hopefully that all pays off. And if it does pay off, guess what? BYU may be in better circumstances earlier on in the Big 12 era than I think they are going to be in basketball, but I will reserve judgment for a little bit just to, I, I just want to see them finally uh, hit the court together. And that may take two or three years to really see the fruits of this experiment. But they've got a young core of players that they're trying to build up right now. Obviously, Dallin Hall, Richie Saunders, chief among them. But you're going to add guys, like I said, Jake Wallen. You're going to add Isaac Davis to this mix. You're going to add Colin Chandler to the mix. It's going to be intriguing to see if all of this collection of talent that you've picked up over the last in this case, be four or five years and watch it kind of grow together in the next two to three, four years, how much it ultimately uh, can uh, benefit the program and kind of get them to a level where they're recruiting at this level. Does that make sense? Uh, hopefully it does. They, they've got to continue to keep this momentum on the recruiting front. They can't allow it to slip, and we'll see what happens. Obviously, losing out on Stephen Ashworth is a little bit of a blow to BYU in their first year in the Big 12, but there's a lot of young talent, like I said, on this roster, and I'm hoping that it develops and it becomes the just the core uh, of what BYU hopes to do as a member of the Big 12 Conference. But as I'm fond of saying, the proof will ultimately be in the pudding. All right, uh, one other note before, quickly before we go is congratulations to BYU men's volleyball. They won their first matchup in the MPSF tournament. They're back in action tonight, 8 o'clock out there in Stanford. If you want to watch, you can pay for the streaming service Flow Sports. Check it out. Or you can just go to BYUcougars.com. There's a stat broadcast link where you can kind of track the stats. They beat Concordia, uh, who had a losing record 3-1 uh, yesterday afternoon uh, to win that matchup. All right, so there you go. You're up to speed on everything going on in BYU sports. A little bit over time, I still have a number of questions I did not get to on today's show. So you know what I'm going to do? We're going to send the mailbag to a Friday edition of the show. So thank you for making us your first listen. Uh, join us back here. Become an everydayer on our Friday edition of the podcast. We're going to talk running backs. We're going to answer more questions. We're going to have some fun. It's going to be a Friday. And hope you guys are all doing fantastic wherever you might be out there in Cougar Nation. And thanks again for checking out Locked On Cougars. Until tomorrow, have a great rest of your day. And thank you for making, part, making Locked On Cougars part of your routine. We will talk to you guys again soon. See ya. 
NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.